Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Outbound Life Podcast. I'm Jason, as always here with Brian. Hope you guys are having a wonderful morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you happen to be listening to this. Um, for me, it's very late into the evening right now, and it's been a wonderful night so far. For Brian, it's bright and early in the Thailand morning. The sun is shining, the birds are chirping, he's got a fresh cup of coffee, and so I think Brian is ready to go today. Brian, are you feeling good tonight? I'm feeling good. I'm excited to get into a little bit of what we've been talking about. We had that time before we kicked off on the podcast and we were interacting around this idea on, you know, we had, we had been talking in the last podcast about relating to Jesus and assumptions we make about him. And I posed this question of what is the absolute essence? If you were to simplify everything that Christianity is built on, uh, besides all of the normal theological metaphors, if you could simplify it down to someone who knew nothing, what is the essence, what we believe? That all ties into this relationship piece. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to get into that. Yeah, we're going to hit um, probably about three things in this episode today for everyone listening. Um, we do want to talk about that, uh, the simplicity of Christianity. If you were to bring it down, peel back the layers to one core thing, what would it be? And and actually, when we were talking about that before, it, it took me a while to kind of phrase, you know, out loud what, what I was thinking and feeling about it, because it's not really a question that we get asked very often. At least, you know, I haven't been asked that very often. Um, so we want to hit that. We want to talk about what does it mean to know the Father? We've been talking about relating to Jesus. So getting a bit more meat onto that. But then what are the implications of knowing the Father? Um, and that was my response when we're looking at breaking Christianity down to one thing. To me, it really is to know the Father. That's what Jesus came to show. That's what the, the entire core of Christianity, to me, at least should be focused on, is knowing the Father. There's a lot of you know, things that are tagged onto that, a lot of things that flow out of that. But if there's one thing, if there's nothing else, and there's only one, it's to know the Father. And so how does that actually change our lives? Does it change anything? Is it, you know, I think to a lot of us, it's just a nice cliche. Okay, yeah, I want to know God, which most of us would translate that to, okay, if I want to know God, what does he want me to do? I mean, for how many people listening, when you think of that, to know God means to know what are the good things to do and what are the bad things to not do? Because many of us have grown up with that idea of God is you know, he gives us rules. He gives us a great way to live. And we need to follow that example in order to have a good life or in order to, to be good people. And we get lost in that whole thing. But if we break it down to the simplest form, to know the Father, what does that look like? I want to go at this in a place where we can remove the theology of this whole thing without stripping the fact that he is the marvelous creator but I want to approach this from a, a perspective of how do we actually relate to that? Because that's what we've been talking about. How do we relate to that as a human being on this earth? And how can that be more intertwined into our everyday life? How can that be more intertwined into that whole thought process? And where some of this was coming, if, if you've, you've been around me long enough, I'll get on a train of thought and then I'll bounce over here and then I'll bounce over here. And I have this complicated mess of, 
web trains that have gone all over the place <laughs> inside my head. And then I have to finally shrink it down to this is what I'm thinking. So in the movie Moneyball, if you remember that, Moneyball is about Billy Bean, the general manager of the Oakland A's, and the Oakland A's were doing garbage, and they had no money. And so, and now tra- players are being traded off, and how are they going to win and keep into this? And Billy Bean came across this um, young man, and I, I cannot remember his name now. Do you remember his name? You know, it's really sad. I was actually literally this week watching some clips from that movie, and I cannot remember. The, his name is Pete, Peter something. All right, smart man Pete. The, he was <laughs> economist from Yale. He's 25 years old. And he was working with this other club, and then uh, Billy Bean met him, and he, they were talking in the, the, the garage of the parking garage. And so Billy Bean asked him, it's like, why do you, you had questions over this trade that he was going to do with the player. And Pete didn't want to answer the question because he knew general managers generally didn't like what he was going to say about that. And finally, Billy Bean pressed him and he said, I want to know what you think about this. What is the core issue? And Pete responded and he said, Here's the problem with general managers. And this is why he didn't want to say anything. He's the 25 years old working for a baseball club. You don't really want to insult the general manager that they don't know anything. And he said, general managers buy players so they can win games. And the concept is completely wrong. You, you don't buy players. You buy wins. And you find players that can do that role so you can win. Very different. And it was a completely different way of scouting and, it, and changing it. And if you've ever watched the movie Moneyball, it radic- radically revolutionized the whole thing. And I thought it was interesting later on, uh, the Boston Red, Sox, Boston Red Sox owner approaches Billy Bean to become a general manager after they did all these great things with, less, with cheaper players. And the general manager is making a comment to him. He said, it costs like $1.2 million per win for the New York Yankees. It costs you $275,000 per win as the Oakland Athletics. That's remarkable. And it really wasn't a change to the game at all. All this stuff was there, but they lost the fundamentals of why they do what they do. They got so focused on buying in an old way, but then as they started realizing what is the essence of why you bring a player into the game, it's so you can win games. And so he discovered that. And he said a lot of owners are going to be really mad. Baseball is going to be mad that we're going to go at it from this perspective because there's this beautifulness of, of baseball. Well, in eras gone by, I'm not a big, as big of a fan anymore, but in eras gone by, there was this idea of, of the there, there was something, a player hits, gets a hit and then he steals base or some unique thing happens in the game that changes everything. That's what fans enjoy. And so if you all of a sudden find a simpler way, the simplicity of the game comes out, it, it breaks some of the mysticism and the, the mystic and the, the magicalness of the game. But it actually, it does and it brings out more of it. But in the time, it was a hard switch and the Red Sox owner is telling them, you know, base, the baseball is not going to like this, but this is where it's going to go. 
The first person through the door always takes a bloody nose, but if they can stay at it, and eventually Red Sox owners offers him a contract, wants him to come and uh, become the general manager of the Boston Red Sox. Anyway, it, it's going through this whole picture of when we get to the essence of something, of what it's really about, it does affect those that have built industries around something, but maybe with the wrong pretense or the lack of understanding of why we're doing it. And I, I love how Jesus is always bringing it back to the simple of this is why we do this. And it's always that. And how often when you bring a simple thing, how it kind of goes against the grain when we're used to doing it the complicated, uh, long way that we've always done something. And today I'm, I'm not looking to introduce some brand new idea to Christianity. I'm just trying to simplify it down of things that Jesus said of what is at the essence of this whole thing. Well, that's that's such a good example because I think one of the one of the roadblocks a lot of people hit in Christianity is when when we're looking at relating to Jesus, there's we get on a roll with something and then we we hit a wall and we we feel like we take a couple steps back. So it's two steps forward, one step back. And then there's these problems that come up. And I was thinking about that this week as I was watching that scene where uh, when he's in the it's early in the movie when he's in the room with his scouts, the season's finished, they lose a couple or a few of their best players that are big names. Now they can't afford to keep them. And all their scouts and development guys are in the room talking about free agents and stuff. And they're talking about, well, we need to replace these people. And he says, you guys, you, you guys are just talking. You're going about things the same way you've always done it. And we're going to get the same pitiful results. You're not even looking at the real problem. And, and one of the guys says, well, we know what the problem is. And so, uh, the Billy Bean says, what's the problem? And the guy says, the problem is we need to replace these players. And he says, no, that's not the problem. The problem is there are rich teams and there are poor teams. And then there's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. We can't operate the way that they do. It's an unfair game. So if you try to approach things that way that you've always done it, you're going to get the same bad results. You're, we're never going to change anything. And I think that's been the story of so many people's lives where it's, you know what? I, I had this setback. I just got to, you know, I got to read my Bible more. That's why I had this problem. Or I need to start giving more at church. That's my problem. And so I need to do, and it, that's, we're missing the point. And those things can help and those can be good things. But if you're not looking at the core of something, then you can try to add all these things to do all these things and get results. And you might get some results, but you're never going to solve the problem ultimately. And at least for me, that was that was what shifted my mindset because I would go through those cycles of, man, I just feel like I'm not at all relating to Jesus. I'm not following his example good enough, so I'm going to try better the next time. But when I started to see a different picture of, you know what, what, is it, what does it look like to just want to know the Father? Let me interrupt you. When you said, I'm, I'm not following Jesus in the right way, I'm not knowing him, what was your thoughts of knowing him? What, why did those actions determine that that would help you know him? I think it was really, I, I would look at what's going on in my life, how I felt about things or situations I found myself in. And, and on some level, I would think, you know, things would be better. I would feel better or be in a better position circumstantially if I was being a better follower of Jesus. So, or, let, me, so let me ask you, were you, when everything was good, obviously, quote unquote, what you're saying is you had a good relationship with him, but then when things were going bad, obviously you needed to go fix your relationship. 
or has the was the relationship exactly the same except things were going good and things were going bad well no in my mind it was always you know i I, i'm a bit more distant now and so there must be something i've done um or or should have done that i didn't do and so now that's that's you know the relationship isn't what it should be but it was always based on on those on this idea of I need to do something to get into that relationship. And so it wasn't so much that I, um, I felt like I was in a great relationship with Jesus. Well, that's, that's not, that's not, that's not true. It's, I guess it's more that I questioned how stable the relationship was based on what I was doing. And at some level there was always, or on the outcome you were getting. Or on the outcome I was getting, exactly. So was exactly the relationship that, based on the outcome that you would benefit from in the relationship, would that be a safer assessment at the time? Yeah. So how many of us have this relationship with God or think we do when things are going well? Obviously, he's pleased with us, and then things start going wrong, and then we start digging into the relationship. And my question comes, it's almost like when Peter goes to Billy Bean, you're focusing on the wrong thing. You're now starting to buy players, but you're not understanding the essence of what you're doing to begin with. And I, 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 I'm just, I'm wondering if, because we all do this, we all do this at times. Oh my goodness, this is all falling apart. What did I do wrong? And, and the, you know, there is things that we do that are numbskullish and we get mm-hmm. off track and then things start going wrong. But then we start going, I need my relationship back. And so we want the relationship back, but what's driving us back to the relationship is so we could have a better outcome. But when we're having a good outcome, we think we have a good relationship. So it's still an outcome-based idea. And so I'm wondering if we teeter back and forth because we're looking for the outcome. Yeah, I think it's that. And and don't get me wrong. There's a great outcome in a relationship with him. There is an outcome. But if that's the motive is just the outcome, we're missing the whole essence of the relationship to begin with. So do you think it, you could, you could phrase it as the difference between, um, you know, thinking of things, thinking of the relationship from, am I making God happy? Am I doing good things? Am I serving him? Well, am I pleasing him? Well, versus I want to know the father and what does that look like? Because those are two very different things. So how do you perceive that? Knowing the Father, what are, what are some ideas that stand out to you? We've talked about this stuff a lot, and I'm kind of putting you on the spot there. But what what does that well, no, look like to you? It's a good question because that's what I think it ultimately comes down to when we're relating to Jesus, or at least for me it was, and I know for a lot of other people too, is there's there's difficulty in relating because he really knew the Father. He he only said what the father spoke to him. He only did what he saw the father do. There was that depth of relationship there. And I don't even know where to start with that as me, this person here on earth, who's got my history of life, whether it be objectively better or worse than someone else. I can't have that. That same starting point is a bit difficult for me to connect with. And so my, my way of knowing the father is going to be different. So Jesus knew the Father. Um, he was filled with the Spirit. He knew the future. He knew all these things. Uh, but for me, what it means to know the Father is going to be different because I don't have the same starting point as him. I have to know the Father somewhat based on 
you know, what I'm doing for. And we, in fact, for me, it was, it, it really came down to this idea of we were created to worship God. And so if I'm worshiping and serving in a good manner, then that's going to make the relationship good. And if I'm not doing that in a good manner, then that's going to make the relationship bad. Um, worshiping him, you mean you're having a concert and you're singing praise songs on a regular basis? What what does, can you, <laughs> it, I, I'm on purpose, way, I'm mean, on purpose. Let's, I, I think we just need to kind of go through some of these ideas because we don't realize we, we talk, we talk a Christian language. And I'm I'm speaking to myself, so I'm I'm not speaking at you or anybody else. Oh, I, I need to worship God more. I need to give more. I need to and I don't even know if we know what those things mean, but I'm discovering that I think we've learned those things from other people, but we really haven't learned those things through our relationship with the Father of what those things actually mean. One of the things that that um that shifted it for me was actually that idea that God that God wants to not only be a father figure, but he actually becomes my father. He becomes my source, the person I'm made in the image and likeness of. And for, and I can actually have a relationship with him on that level. That to me changed pretty much everything. So you have a good relationship with your father, your natural father. And do you have a good relationship with him because of what he does for you, what he doesn't do for you? No, it's if because go, he's it, my dad, you know? Yet there's times you wish, man, I wish my dad could just, if he could just fork over some bucks, I can get out of my, get out of my issue. Oh, he didn't, he didn't help me in this. He's not a good dad. So maybe if I go rebuild my relationship, he'll help me take care of this. Do you, do you see how in a natural sense, that is such a manipulative way of thinking. It's a very shallow, uh, surface we would call almost that person a car a con artist or almost a manipulator and but what we really want is just that relationship and that interaction now i will tell you there's a huge benefit to being in god's family there is huge benefits to the process there is the forgiveness of of sins there's the healing there's deliverance there's provision all of those things are in him but that is not the reason that we have a relationship. Now he's so merciful, he's still happy to help with those things, hoping one one day you see his goodness and you want a relationship with him. But I think we define if those things are happening to us, then he must have uh now I'm in a good relationship or I'm I'm not. And I don't think it's answering our deeper heart question. And I, I think this is it's something I'm kind of rolling around and so hopefully on this podcast we could come to uh, at least it kind of exposing some of these ideas and, and simplifying this to what is the real essence of what we're really wanting versus what we're needing on the outside. So here, here's an example, uh, from my life. It might not be a perfect example, but there was a time many years ago, there was, there were some big financial issues that I was facing because I, I'm part of the generation that, um, we all thought it was a great idea to go to college for 38,000 years and end up $2 billion in student loan debt. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I found myself like in 1. this 9 problem. Billion, right? Yeah, it's the 0.9 billion. <laughs> but I found myself in this problem. Like I am just, uh, we'll, we'll keep it podcast friendly in a really bad financial situation. And I remember calling my dad, knowing that he, he couldn't, you know, just send me a check and make all the problems go away. That wasn't the situation at the time. And I, I honestly wasn't looking for that. 
I just wanted to talk to him and know how to get through it. Like, I don't even know what to do about this problem because I've never been here before. And so I called him up and he talked me through it. He used to said, all right, you're, you need to um, return these calls. You need to set this up with these people and, and do, and, you know, just see what is able to happen. You need to walk through this. And I honestly think that did more for me than if I were to call him and him just either write a check and make it all go away or make a phone call, and make everything go away. Because I mean, honestly, I would have been in the same situation a year later, but because he was able to walk with me through that and he's experienced those things and he's come out the other side for it, he's overcome those things. I could actually, and because of the relationship I had with him, I was comfortable calling him up knowing that he would walk with me through it. Without judgment, without condemnation, Without but judgment, it, but with it, the same token, there's a, there was an element of truth that he didn't bend on, but he helped you navigate through that. So it wasn't like siding with you or siding with them. It's more of, okay, here's the situation. This is, and I think we missed that whole point. Like even when, we, you know, some of the reasons that were brought up before of why people don't believe in Jesus or, or excuse me, why they don't relate to him. Like, well, he just knows all things. He's all this. I think you've just missed a deeper, deeper reality of Jesus loved the Father, and the Father loved Jesus, and they were one, and the Holy Spirit working with them, and and all one, all in agreement, speaking on each other's behalf, and that relationship piece. And I think what one thing that we've maybe overlooked because we're always trying to solve problems. Think about that verse that says, "Seek first the kingdom of God." and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. For the Father knows you have need of these things, in another verse it says. And he said, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. The Father knows you have need of these things, but seek first the kingdom of God. And so we look at that going, okay, that's the formula. If I seek God, then I'm going to get these things taken care of. And you're still missing the whole point. The point was, the Father knows you have need of those things. Put those aside for a moment. Let's go after the bigger thing that your heart really is craving, which is what you're talking about. And all of a sudden, you have this relationship where that stuff kind of becomes not a focal point. And here's the part about knowing everything. We know, in our world today, we know more things than we care to know. We are so clouded with information, we can barely even think, and it's almost made us more, narciss more narcissistic, more self-centered, more self-focused, more self, like if something goes wrong, we have to analyze and solve. And, and it, it's something, almost so much knowledge has made us unfree. I, I know that mm -hmm. just seems kind of an oxymoron, but it really has made us not as free because we know so much information. But Jesus was saying, just know the Father. It's better than knowing all things. It's better than having all things. It's better than your experiences being bliss all your life. Because once you know him, you have access to who he is and what he knows. And Jesus lived like this. I only do what I see my Father do. I don't speak on my own behalf. I don't do things on my own behalf. And he, he mastered that piece. So even though he knew what his destination was, he didn't know what the map was like. He didn't know what the, the journey was like because he didn't even need to know. 
because he knew the Father. And I think that kind of confident trust is what our heart deeply desires, but we are fearful of that, so now we have to find other mechanisms to help soothe all those things. So do you think there were times where where Jesus would be in a situation, and I don't know if um, if if it's the right term to say he was caught off guard or surprised by something, but having to face a situation where he didn't have um, like this little notebook in his pocket where he's like, okay, I'm going to go into this town and uh, this person is going to come up to me at this time and say this thing to me. And then I'm going to respond in this manner. Do you think there was situations where he, you know, was in the moment and he, there's something there that he didn't expect or, um, I don't know if changed his mind or had a change of heart is the right phrase, but something that was not previously scripted, I guess would be a good way to put it. Yeah. Because we, if that, if we're looking at a relationship with the father, it, that it it's active and that it's, it's in our everyday life for us, we don't have a script for what is going to happen tomorrow. And so we are walking that journey so that, yeah, the question is, did he have that same experience? Uh, I think we can, I'll pull up one here, John chapter seven, that we were just uh, sharing with you earlier. Um, so let's come right back to that real quick. I just want to make make a comment is a uh, there's people listening saying, oh, great, now I can't get my needs met because it's just knowing the father. <laughs> I, I, I know this is crossing through your head, right? It's like, you know what? That stuff isn't important. Here's what's important. And you're like, no, you don't realize how important it is. If today I don't get this stuff taken care of, you have no idea what's going to happen in my life. The, and they're big, real issues. They're big, real issues. I, I don't want to minimize it. There's people that are sick, that they're, they're desperate. And I'm, I'm, I'm seeking, speaking this on, I get it deeply. And Jesus got it deeply. But this is the answer to your perspective your wisdom, your confidence, your faith, your assurance, your authority, everything in order to deal with that, just like your father helped you deal with your, your situation. And I think there's this like, ah, I'll just go to someone else and they'll help me. And it doesn't mean they shouldn't. And it doesn't mean it's bad advice. It doesn't necessarily mean that's the wrong way. But where's your relationship being built? Think about where you go to the most is where your relationship is built the most. That is why it's very difficult when the father wants to come and navigate because it just seems so foreign to us. But I'm telling you, there is something much better in, in, in that piece of information, in that relationship. Okay, back to and your examples. Maybe it can examples. be difficult to, well, because that, that's a good point. And maybe it's difficult to to start building that relationship and learning what it's like. I mean, it, this might not be a good example again, but I mean, picture that you're 30, 40, 50 years old and you've never met your natural father. And then you meet them when you're an adult, you don't instantly get to go back to being a child and forming the relationship back then. There's, there's a learning process to it and there's different dynamics to it. And maybe that's the way it is for some people where we've gone our whole lives, not relating to, the father. And so now we're, we've got to learn this stuff and it's not always an overnight process. Like we've talked about before the, um, it, it says the kingdom of God isn't it's, well, this isn't 
in the Bible. This is a bit of my paraphrasing. It's not something you can microwave. It's a seed that has to be planted and grown. And it's the same with a relationship. And oh, that's so, yeah, there take are forever, going forever, Jason. That's going to take forever. It's not going to solve <laughs> my problem right now. That's too long. Well, that's <laughs> we could, that might be a different uh, a different episode where we talk about that. But um, I thought you'd be a little bit less American having lived in Thailand for however many years now, and you wouldn't be so instant gratification minded, Brian. Well, but, okay, not to... a lot of that went out the window living here, but I. I think something you're saying is super important. And, and the reason I keep contrasting these two things is because this is, we're all in it. And I think this, this verse in John chapter seven actually typifies this whole piece. And I, I just want to say this, I have watched more miraculous things done for people in ministry and in my lifetime that have absolutely revolutionized my world of the mercy and the grace and the love of God. And he will do that in a heartbeat. You, it's like if you, oh, I don't have time to really build that relationship, so he'll do that for me. No, he just wants to do it for you. The point is a lot of times we miss that because we, we get so locked into these other ways. I mean, I've seen people who didn't even believe in God get healed or set free or miracles happen on their behalf. And then all of a sudden they go, I want to know that God. Like the, those, mm -hmm. Jesus did works to people that didn't even believe in who he was. So it's not, that he won't do those things. All those things are available. It's just not the essence of what we're trying to get at, where there's a much better, more powerful, more secure and confident and restful place in knowing him versus knowing what he can do. Is that, uh, do you think that's a bit like when Jesus, um, there's the crowd of people and he said, they're really only here for the food. Yeah, but he still fed I mean, them. He still fed them. He still fed them, but he also still, was speaking the gospel in the kingdom of heaven to them, which like, is, there is, there is something deeper that I'm trying to get to here, but I get it. You're hungry. Here's some food. Absolutely. And it, well, even just when he says man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And you brought this up earlier before the podcast. So mm -hmm. when he was with the 4,000 and they're all hungry, why didn't you just tell them you need to go eat the manna from heaven? You don't need your bellies mm -hmm. filled. Why did he have compassion and feed him? He knows the state of humanity. He gets it. He knows what they're feeling. Like these are truths that are sometimes hard to get into, but the more we can go that direction, how much better uh, our fulfillment of who we are gets established. And I think that's the point to get to, but look, he still fed them and he knew they didn't even want to follow him because of what he said, who he was. They're just hungry. Hey, free meal. So you have this group following him around to eat. So he knew all this, like, and Reveals when I say and miracles, absolutely. And when I say he knew all this, does he know all things? My point is he knew the hearts of men because that was his role. That was his assignment was to establish that kingdom. So he knew them. It didn't mean he knew what Bill would say tomorrow, but he would perceive it. He would discern it at times. He would, uh, he, he would know, and all this was coming because of the relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and in those moments, he would be revealed, but he didn't need to cloud his mind every day with his itinerary. Right, and that speaks to his motive as well, and I I, I love that example, and I, I haven't really, um, I haven't thought about it too much until recently, but the difference between the, the bread temptation in the wilderness and when he multiplied the loaves and fishes for the people. I mean, there's there's a great example there of 
of motive, but also him knowing in the moment what was the right thing to do and not necessarily having it planned out. Because when he's in the wilderness and temptation comes, he's, he's focused on his identity. And a, a word comes that says to question his identity. If you are, then do this. Turn some stones into bread because you'll eat. You haven't eaten for like 40 days, bud. You need to eat something. And by doing this, you'll be able to prove what you are. Vastly different circumstance from when that multitude of people is there. And he sees their need. And in that moment, he knows, all right, this is the right thing to do. And like we talked about, if he was, if he was just what sometimes we make him out to be of so lofty and just this hovering spiritual being that always speaks in these thous and thuses and doesn't really connect to people, then what he should have done in that moment to the multitude was said, hey guys, you know what? I know you're hungry. It's been like a whole day since you've eaten, but I went for like 40 days and it was great for me. So I'm going to not feed you guys so that I can teach you how to fast for 40 days and to get some cool results. No, that's not what needed to happen in that moment. They needed to be fed. And so he said, all right, here's what we have around us. Let's make this happen. And the father was part of that process. But I think that's, that's so interesting to me because he's, he's seen a need and the motive behind what's presented to him makes all the difference there. I think that's so cool. It's all the difference. And they're both the same act. So one time the act is a temptation and could cause him to fall. Then he does the exact same act and it's right and it's done in the right spirit. And this is where the greatest temptations are. It's the things that the action itself isn't the problem. It's all about the motive behind the action. And, it, you know, you just listen to all of his teachings. And then one moment he's telling you this deep truth. Then he goes and does an act that would seem like it changes it. Let me give you a great perspective here. Uh, in John chapter uh, 7, verse 1. So John chapter 7, uh, all the way through. It goes on for a while. I won't read the whole thing, but if you read all the way through to verse 39, this is an amazing event. So Jesus says, he walked in Galilee and did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. So Jesus was making a choice. I'm not going to Judea because they want to kill me. And it wasn't out of fear, but his time wasn't come to be done then. So he's going to stay in Galilee. Then his brothers show up and he says, you need to leave here because at the time there was this feast of the tabernacles and they needed to go up to the feast back into Judea. So his brothers come and says, you need to come up and show your miracles to us and your disciples so they'll know who you are. And they said, for no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. I, I love how this is what a temptation. You're doing this in secret when you want to be known openly. You don't do that. You need to expose yourself. So you go up to this feast with us and then show yourself. So you would think, well, yeah, you're right. If, if I'm a, this great, let's just say you're a musician. I'm this great musician. I need the world to know. I need to go on stage and let them know what I am. But who's the one who's trying to get the glory? You are. And so his brothers were taking an act to go do in order to prove that who he was, but part of it was for the benefit of the brothers, so that way they got tired of the ridicule that their other brother is out doing all these crazy things and no one believes in him. So Jesus says to them, my time has not come, 
but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast, and what was, what was the works that Jesus said in John? The works that I ask you to do is to believe on me and the one who sent me. I want you to put the essence of everything that God wants us to do is believe in me and believe in the one who sent me. How can that fulfill all these works? Well, we're going to see that here in a second. And then he said, you go up to the feast. I'm not yet going to this feast for my time has not fully come. So he knows it's not time to go, and he knows not to be persuaded by the motives of men that would try to bring a self-exaltation to Jesus. He was not seeking his own thing. So they go up. The next verse, it says, But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. So was Jesus lying? Was he manipulating this situation? So he knew he was going to go as soon as they left, but he was just going to tell them he's not going. Hmm. Isn't that bearing false witness? I mean, you think about it. it. Like Everybody says, he just knew everything. Do you see the complications of in this world, as a human in this world, with all the complexities of life, that if you knew everything, you're almost indicted of something. But what he knew was his father. And his father hadn't told him it was time. So I am staying here, you guys go, I'm not going. So obviously, his father spoke to him. It's time to go, and I want you to go in secret. Then they find himself in the temple, doing the thing his brothers asked him to go do. (laughs) So his brothers are tempting him to go, but his father hadn't told him to go. So they're trying to get him to go on his own accord to prove himself. The answer is no, I can't go. Then the father speaks to him to go, but now who's he going for? For the father. So the motive radically changed, and he was totally truthful. I can't go until the father says to go. Oh, but if the father comes and says, I need you now to go, he's not lying because he didn't know. He was very truthful but his motives wouldn't be persuaded. Here's the thing that he speaks in the temple. He who speaks, he says, if anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. So think of that. He's actually exposing the motives of his brother. So his brothers ask him to do something. He says no. Then God speaks to him somewhere And now he's going to go in the Father's will. And he goes to the place that his brother has asked him to go. And then he gives this message exposing the difference between knowing man's will and your own self-protection and knowing God's will where you're free to just serve him, but you don't have to worry about yourself. And he says, if anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. And he's also saying, if you're no longer seeking your own will, your own provision, your own safety, your own security, you will be able to discern who's asking what. This is a really powerful idea of knowing the Father. Just ponder that for a moment. And then he goes, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. 
In other words, had Jesus come earlier, he would have been seeking his own glory. This is what the enemy in the wilderness was trying, what Satan was trying to get him to do was, had nothing really to do with the act, is you seek your own glory. You seek your own glory. If you're this guy, seek your own glory. Prove it. Prove it. And he's like, I'm not going to do that. Yet he did every one of those acts that he was tempted of. Why? Because it gave God glory. Like it, It's very interesting that it's the exact same act, but it's different spirit behind it. Then he says... Well, and, and real quick, but, wouldn't that tie into the example you had earlier of, let's say you're an amazing musician, and then there's the, the, the influence or voice, whatever, not to make the example schizophrenic, but you need to get on stage. You need to promote yourself because... And here's what it would sound like, because God gave you this gift of being an incredible musician and you need to share that with people. But if the motive, if the timing isn't of God in this in this situation, then your motive ends up being, you know what, I do need to get out there. I need to promote this stuff. I need to promote myself. But if the motive is, is different, if the motive is letting letting the one that has given you this thing be the um i guess be the guide of when and where and what to do then that's completely different and so to, to this example of jesus he could have done all these miracles in the wilderness he could have done all these things but because the timing and the motive wasn't right the motive it would have been wrong which exactly is where the essence of every temptation comes from is that motive yeah right there there's an envy or i'm being cheated i need to get out there I, I'm missing out on my opportunity. I'm I'm not seizing it. That that isn't that is a self motive versus I'm comfortable with who I am. And then a little bit. But then way the different. flip side of that obviously is, well, you know what? I'm just gonna sit on my couch and then when God wants things to happen, then he'll he'll, you know, strike me with a bolt of lightning, he'll make me stand up, he'll make me walk over here and talk to these people. There's obviously the extreme other side of that which is not at all what we're talking about so we're not saying you know what just sit there and wait for god to physically move you around and do things that's in a way though that's still seeking your own glory because you're basically making yourself the center and god's going to have to do something if he really wants it done because what you're going to do is whether you choose to do nothing or something you're still choosing it it's still your your glory it, it still falls into that same category so even someone who's apathetic is still living from his own glory. That's part of the reason why if they don't think they have anything and they're they're condemning themselves, they're still living in that thought process where Jesus is trying to pull us away from that whole thought process that even though you're doing the will of the Father, the Father's also hearing you. It's a, it's a relational piece that neither one are trying to seek their own. Jesus wasn't trying to seek his own glory. He's trying to seek the Father. The Father was glorifying the Son. And the Holy Spirit was only speaking on behalf of what Jesus and the Father were saying. And it was just very interesting. None of them were seeking their own. They were seeking each other's. It's a very interesting dynamic. And you see this in a good, healthy relationship. Is there's Sometimes you get benefit. Sometimes they get benefit. But you're really not seeking your own benefit. You're seeking each other's benefit. And you're all benefiting. Well, that And that's so interesting. Because as I keep looking at this in verse 17, where he says... Um, if, if you're willing to do his will, you'll know of the teaching, whether it's of God or whether I speak from myself. Now, that to me is really interesting because if if Jesus isn't absolutely human, then 
then why why would he even say that? Because he's putting himself in this position of, I am just speaking what the Father gave me to speak and told me to speak. I'm just, it's not about me. It's not about my own glory. Now, this is Jesus saying that. He's not seeking his own glory. He's seeking the glory of the one who sent him. Now, now that has by itself should really make us understand the humanity of Jesus. But if you're in a in a, a real frustrating place, how does that bring encouragement to you? It's like, oh great, I gotta go do his will. He doesn't even care how I'm I, I have to still solve my problems first. Well, then maybe the problem is we don't know what his will is, and we don't know what the word he's spoken over us actually is. And maybe we don't get the motives that he's trying to get at. Yeah. I, I, I think so this brings us back to that that piece. How do we have a relationship with the Father? How do we have mm-hmm. that? We've spent so much time talking about this in ministry, but I don't know if we've ever actually boiled it down. We've given some some nutshells, and I can't I, I don't want to come across that I'm the authority. This is how you have the relationship because every person has different dynamics and thoughts and how you were raised and the world you came out of it. And what does that that look like? And and what does that mean? And I think the first thing that Jesus revealed to people is how much Jesus was interested in a relationship with them first. And you see this with the leper. You see this with the woman at the well. You see this with the blind man. You see this with Peter. You see this with the disciples. You see this with Mary Magdalene. You see this with all everyone Jesus interacted with. He revealed the Father's heart of, I not only know you, but I want to know you in spite of how you view yourself and the world that you've created. I want to know you. And I think the moment, honestly, that pierces deeper, that when you have someone, even if you're in something that's just so stressful and painful, but just someone comes along and lifts you out of that, it's amazing. Uh, I don't know if you caught this. We just watched the... Uh, have you ever seen the movie Darkest Hour with Winston, the story about Winston Churchill? Just it, it's amazing if you watch the movie Dunkirk, which is the getting the the guys off the beach during uh, the beginning of World War II, and then mm-hmm. you go watch the Darkest Hour. Unbelievable parallels. In fact, it explains a lot of these a lot of these ideas really resonate in that real example. So me and my son uh, spend some time watching our. Uh, dad war movies and different things and it was interesting for the first time he wanted to listen to a dialogue movie that that's a real big one because the darkest hours all dialogue but in that movie winston churchill finally came to the end and germany's pushing all the way through there is no there is no real peace without giving up the kingdom the king did not like winston churchill but there came a point where the king comes and visit winston churchill in his home and the weight of the world is on Winston. They, they, there is no peace. He has to navigate, how do we save this nation? And he felt all alone because everyone was against Winston. And the king comes to his, his, his room, his wife lets him in, and the king sits down and says, Winston, you are the one for this. And there was this moment, and he said, I'm with you. And Winston says, we could talk about, he goes, I finally have someone I could talk about with over these issues. The king did not solve his problem. The king came alongside and says, I'm with you, Winston. 
And he gave him the king authority to do the prime minister authority. But Winston didn't need to know the king stuff. He needed to know the Winston stuff. And the king came in and built that. And they, it's the thing that forged and fueled Winston to pull everybody together and unite a nation off that one moment. It was really a powerful moment. And the effects of that, and I think we miss something of how much we crave that relationship. I think deep down, we don't really want, we're not really looking for a way out. We just want to truly know that someone so powerful with the authority actually will come alongside and say, I believe in you. Believe in me. And, and, and we build and we can exchange the weights. I don't have to carry the weights of what I'm carrying. And now I can get his insight in how to do it. And I'm freed to go do what I'm supposed to do. And he gets all the glory. The king got the glory for bringing Winston in. And it's just really, even though Winston gets celebrated, if it wasn't for the king, there would be no win. Like it, it, it all tied together. And I, I think it's just really important of how much our heart deeply craves that. I think that's a great example because I, on one hand, we, we've, been, we've made this point clear, I think. It's not about seeking your, your own glory or promoting yourself. That's not what the relationship, that's not what it means to know the Father. But at the same time, it's also not about you looking at yourself as if you're this like empty chess piece being moved around the board of life saying I'm nothing and I'll, you know, I'll wait for God to do something. And it's, it's not about that. It's about the relationship working in tandem. And you and I have talked about this in the past. There's, we see in the old Testament, even a great example of this. When, when God comes to Moses and says, I'm going to be with you and what that relationship looks like when they come to the Red Sea. But, but I wanted to, I wanted to get your perspective on this because I think you've, you um, are one of the people that has walked through this. This isn't theoretical stuff. This isn't Bible commentary or a theological book for you. You've gone through this relationship with the Father. And so I wanted to, you know, have you share your perspective on what that looks like for us practically to know the Father in a relationship. That is, that is the way Jesus modeled it. That's not some... Sunday school cliche, but it's not some empty religious thing that we just, we chant week over week and then end up feeling as empty as when we came in. That's a great question. It's probably the, the best question we need to address. How it came about for me is I knew a lot of these truths, right? But you can know a lot about a lot of things. Doesn't mean you have an understanding or do you even know where to go with it? And I knew a lot about God. I knew a lot about God wanting to be a father. I knew a lot about what God can do. I saw amazing things. I, there was areas of his life he kind of shined and I was very confident in. But I found myself uh, and my family living in South Carolina and I knew there was God was taking us to a different place, but it was rough. It, it was just rough on every level. And I remember sitting down in the chair and I opened my Bible and I said, God, I don't want another miracle. Now, a little note to self. It doesn't mean I will reject any miracle, but I don't want another miracle. I don't want another you coming through in the clutch. I want to know you. 
and will you father me so I don't ever have to be here again? There, this, this circle seemed to be cycling back through, and it's like, I did not want to be here ever again. Will you father me? And I remember in those moments, something began to change, and I think we saw many miracles. We saw doors. We saw things begin happening. But the paradigm of that was way different. It wasn't like, oh, it wasn't relief. Remember we talked about the difference between relief and deliverance. Mm-hmm. It wasn't relief yeah. anymore. It was just part of the process of the journey. And it didn't matter whether it did happen or it didn't happen. Something was securing and, and, and forming in me. And I would go out in the day and I, I would just talk to him about it like, uh, we were doing some side work. We were pastoring. It was, it's a, it was a heavy time that I had never experienced before. And a lot of it was good stuff happening. And it wasn't, it wasn't like bad, but it was bad to me because the weight of it was just unbearable. And I remember I was having to do side, side jobs in order to kind of keep things going. And, uh, we started a window cleaning company and that was tough. And, as we begin developing this relationship, God would begin speaking to me and talking, and he, something would pop in my heart. And then my my wife would say, "Have you ever considered painting? Would you take any painting jobs?" Because I don't know why I'm thinking that, but I'm like, and that, and I'm like, yeah, I would do it. And then this this the next day, I'm out on a job, and the, this customer comes in this huge house. And says, Can you do all of our interior painting and do all that? I'm like, well, I don't know how to do this, but I'm I'm pretty detailed, so we'll figure it out. And it was these moments that it wasn't, it was the answer to the things we were needing, but it was done in a way that it wasn't like it was just a miracle. Like we were working through it. And then while I'm painting, I would be talking to God, how would you do this? What would, what, how, what do you think about this? And how do you navigate this? And these were the, all the dialogues. And I got this confidence and then we'd hit an issue. I'm like, well, I got this issue here. What do I do? And these ideas would pop. And and perspective started changing towards them and how to handle them and and a lot of even the a lot of the message on that we've talked about with Samson that I got eleven years ago happened in this time period as I'm walking down a jail cell and God just starts speaking the Father starts speaking to me and it's like hey here's what I want you to talk about today but it's like almost like a dial but it's not like voices I, if people get confused with that it's like okay so a voice came no there's a distinct a distinct thought, a distinct motivation that you know is not from you. And it's impressing on you, and it's really clear, and you start seeing these separations. But how that began happening is in our daily dialogue, our rides to work, our conversation. It's like, I'm talking to him as if I'm a father, a kid wanting to know everything about how to build something. How did you do this? Why did you do it like this? Where did this go? What do you need to know? And then other things. It was just, that was how the whole process went. And that established everything that we're going that I actually, I was just telling my wife the other day, I feel more comfortable in an environment where I know nothing. And hearing his voice of how to navigate is the most exciting, powerful, miraculous, provision-filled time of my life. It's when I start knowing everything about it it's so tempting to take care of it yourself and to to handle it. And I f- am more fulfilled in that first part than I've ever been in any other part in history. And so 
that's kind of where that 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 piece started to merge where I stripped away the idea take care of me I already knew he would take care of me you know what I'm saying like he already promised that if he can't yeah. take care of me he's a lie you know it's just not going to work anyway so none of the it's just like I need to see different I need to think different I can't keep thinking like this because I keep bringing myself back into these same places I see to me I I love hearing that journey because there's there's something to be said for like you said, knowing about God, but there's a completely different life where you're living in that relationship and actually experiencing it and knowing what it's like to hear the voice of the father and to not, not to try to have to conjure it up on your own, you know? And it, it's not like you were in this, in this position where you were, you know, living in a gutter and just down and out and living this life full of sin and you needed this, 180 turn and it's not it wasn't that drastic and i don't i'm not trying to you know make a weird distinction between those situations because those are obviously real too but there's a big difference between having the information and having the bible verses down and getting the degree in bible studies and all this stuff versus knowing the father and walking with him like that's what that's what this entire conversation is as you know hopefully been about is it's not it's not a history lesson it's not some cool bible verses this is stuff that is that we've lived and gone through and we know it's real and well, i think it's i think for the listeners though what our world's facing even as we're talking like this stuff is really real to me and it's, sometimes it could just become real surfacey to a person listening of okay but how do i do that and i think that the deeper the deeper thing that helped me is you need to ask like there's some questions I asked myself, what do you really want? So I would kind of, I guess I want this, this, and then I'd ask myself, why do you want that? Because it would solve this, this, and this. Why, why will that solve it? Why do you want it solved? Hmm. Then I don't have to feel what I'm feeling on the inside. That's what I want. Father, how do you bring that about? And that's really where those questions started coming about. And, you know, we talk about the Father a lot, so people think we don't talk about Jesus. I only know the Father because of Jesus. Jesus yep. is, the is if Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus says, I came that I am the way, the truth, and life, and no man can come to the Father except through me. Jesus says, you'll no longer pray to me, but you'll, you, you pray to the Father in my name. So they're always promoting each other. So the Father... Jesus and the Holy Spirit, all of them are involved in this. So when I'm saying Father, I'm not, I'm not eliminating. They're all working together, and he, he brings me into that. And the Holy Spirit's the one that actually lives with you. Jesus is, is preparing to return in his bodily, spiritual form, and the Father is, is the, like the grand architect of all this, but they're all equally one, and that's, anyway, that's a whole different conversation but i i want to clause that that when i'm saying the father it's that i i don't want to know god per se i want to know the person god the father the holy spirit jesus I, I, that's what changes you theology tells you about god but theology doesn't tell you about the father if theology doesn't tell you about the person jesus the savior he tells them about it but that person, the, the the one you know, 
And I'm, I, there's something, a place that you could get to that where all these other things that you need, you start looking at them from a sense of authority. You start discovering who you are to them. You start discovering how you can navigate them. And now you don't need to seek your own because they're seeking you. That seems still a little bit vague for a lot of people, but I'm just telling you, if you ask yourself the question and really get to that heart question, why do you want that solved so you don't feel a certain way? Why do you feel that way? Because I feel like I'm on my own. I feel like I have mm -hmm. to protect myself. I feel like I've been cheated and burned so many times. I feel like if I'm this, then at least I will be known as somebody out there. I feel like if this was solved, then I could enjoy my life. I feel like if this was, I wouldn't feel like a slave anymore. I wouldn't feel like someone who's constantly being held under if I could just do these. I, if you get to that question and that answer, guess what? You may do all the things that you desire to do. But you'll be doing it from the motive that you could hear the Father because he's the one who wants that place. And it, that is the answer to the whole thing. That's what Jesus is always dealing with our hearts. And in a way, it's like activating toddler mode when you're facing this stuff. You just keep asking why. Okay, well, why do you want this thing to change? I was talking with someone the other day, and when we'll, we'll wrap up here, but I was talking with someone the other day, and they were dealing with a lot of rejection just from stuff in their past. and people around them right now. And so that was the biggest thing for them is there, there's such a feeling of rejection and they want to stop feeling rejected, which means they want people to stop rejecting them. And so the question is, well, why do you want people to stop rejecting you? What's the point behind that? Is, is that really what you want? Like this person to stop rejecting you? Because then what if tomorrow there's a new person that's rejecting you? And then tomorrow there's another person that's rejecting you. So really, I don't think you... I mean, you, we do want people to stop rejecting us, but ultimately, don't you want to be able to live even if the world is rejecting you and to not have that change your identity and change your purpose and change everything about you? Ultimately, don't you want to, to be strong and secure enough to where the rejection of the world, which we are going to face, doesn't tear you down and doesn't destroy you. And it's those feelings that Jesus 100% relates to. Absolutely. We, we, we tend to want to say, well, you never experienced having your business collapse and da-da-da-da-da. But the underlying thing that brings the negative response to those things, he felt, for sure. So he knows, he goes, the world didn't hate you, but it hates me. Like, he knows he's hated. I mean, try walking around the earth knowing that you're just hated, and yet you still keep moving forward. Few people pull this off, and but he knew it, yet he still loved people, he still cared for people, he still did all this, because the Father was satisfying that place, and that's why it mattered more to him about that, and that's why he could love the way he loved, that's why he could do the way things that he does. I mean, you could, you could break down every single thing in our world, in our society that's trying to convince you this is okay, this is not okay. Why is it okay? Why do I want it? Why do I feel that way? And you get to that place because this is empty right here. And let him father you there where the kingdom explodes. And when that explodes, you won't care about half the things that are going on. So as we're wrapping it up today, I, I have a, I guess to be cliche, I got a challenge for all of our listeners. Um, 
we've, we've been talking a lot about a lot of things just in this topic of relating to Jesus. And my challenge for you guys is to talk to someone else about it. I'm not going to give you necessarily a pickup line to, to spark a conversation with your neighbor or your friends. But I mean, what we want from these things is for, um, for, well, obviously for all of us to grow in these conversations, but start talking about it with other people because there is a world right now that really needs to get beyond the surface, to get to the core of Christianity, to get to the core of the heart of the father and just to start to know him because we have a plenty of information surrounding us and not a lot of heart connection, it seems. So that's my challenge for you guys is to have the conversation with someone else about these topics. And we appreciate you guys tuning in each and every week and we will be back until next time. Stay in the fight.